Yeah, we're doing it now. Okay. So thank you guys for tuning in to a um, another episode here of the TTE podcast. Today, we're going to um, hear in real time a little bit, um, do a little bit of an emergency pod and try to uh, process a little bit what's going on relative to the Derek Chauvin verdict that just came in. So um, with that, I've got um, my two go-to um, emergency folks when I need to do an emergency pod, and that's my brother and sister, uh, Brian Denise. So welcome, guys. Hi. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Fantastic. So with that... Um, Brian, I'll start with you. Um, just some initial reactions to um, the verdict, the reaction to the verdict, um, how it's covered. You know, just some initial thoughts. What do you What are you thinking right now? Uh, well, my you know, first and foremost, um, you know, I'm happy that they returned a guilty verdict. Um, I will also say. I was bracing myself for a mistrial because oftentimes in these instances we have mistrials or just not guilty because they're found to be lawful in the in the process of their job. But I'm certainly happy that he was found guilty. Um, so I'm happy or hopeful that they won't burn Minneapolis tonight. Um, but it sounds like... Uh, Everybody's being peaceful, which is a good thing. Um, also, uh, as terms of the reaction, for me, um, and I know we'll probably get into this, but in you know, I differ probably a little bit because of, of, of the three of us, I'm probably the more conservative of the three of us. Um, I get the victory lap, but uh, some of the grandstanding afterwards, I don't particularly care for. Um, but all in all, um, a good day for justice. It is, um, you know, but in the grand scheme of things, it might, I hope it's not just a blip on the radar. I hope it's something that can be transformative and people can be held accountable or, you know, law enforcement can be held accountable when they go too far. Okay. Denise, what are your, what are your initial impressions and, and thoughts here? Well, you know me, I'm always looking at things from a historical perspective. But today, uh, my thought went to a memory. And I don't know if you guys ever got a chance to talk to Paul Paul about his childhood growing up in segregated uh, Oklahoma. A little bit. Guthrie, a Oklahoma. A little bit, yes. Um, but I listening to the verdict today reminded me of a story he told me um he said he was about 10 or 11 years old so we're talking 1927 1928 and uh his mother was uh somebody came home and told him or told her told his mother that his oldest brother one of his older brothers had been uh detained at the sheriff's office and papa didn't understand what it was for only that um that he was the brother was down there. He didn't say if it was his cousin, if it was his brother Elmer Charles Dunn. I just point I have no I don't remember now. But um, so his mother went down there to get her son out of the sheriff out of a jail. And Papa said that a couple hours later she came back and she had a black eye, a busted lip, uh, and she had bruises all over her body, and they had beat her for the audacity of coming down to the sheriff's office to get her boy out of jail. And so Papa had asked his father, why didn't he go down there? You know, I mean, they beat your wife up. And his father told him that if you think that's what they did to her, what do you think they would have done to me or at worst your brother? So he let it ride. So listening to the verdict today, I, I'm happy that it, it, it is what it is. Uh, I think it was the right decision for common sense reasons. Um, but I also don't necessarily think that it will change a whole lot. And that um, it's a blip on the radar. It's nice to have. But we still have Derek Chauvin, or not Derek Chauvin, we still have what happened to um, Devontae Wright. We still have... Uh, even right now, at what eight, almost eight o'clock in the evening, Columbus Police is going through its own 
uh, its own uh, shooting at the moment with allegedly a 15-year-old girl getting shot. So I, it, it, it's bittersweet. I'm happy it got there. I'm happy we're here. Um, but I, I also can't help but think from a historical perspective and a current perspective that we're no further than where we were before the verdict. Yeah, I guess, I guess my initial thought um, is I'm just happy for his family, for George Foley's family, that there is a measure of justice. Because this is a lot to have to relive. And in the last episode, I talked about the concept of trauma and um, what being black means relative to having to live with that trauma. So... I'm happy that there's a measure of justice and they feel like they might be able to get some closure. But to me, this is much more of an isolated sort of thing. This is not a, this could be a sign of things to come, but I reserve judgment on that. Um, Denise, as you just mentioned, so um, Columbus police today, um, not today, just like an hour ago. Yeah, if that, about less than two hours less ago. Less than two hours ago, are accused of shooting a 15-year-old girl in broad daylight and killing her. And of all days that that happened, it's ironic that that happens today. And my concern is not necessarily, I don't feel this profound sense of joy as a collective for people in general, um, I just keep thinking there's just more work to do. But I'm certainly happy and feel a certain sense of relief for for George Floyd and his family. But I, I have to say, I it's it, I think it's the system and the culture of policing that we have to have a conversation about. And I can't. I struggle with the idea of. You know, people saying, well, we can't police the way we used to. Well, the way you used to do it doesn't work because you kill innocent people. So, no, you can't do it the way you used to do it. Now, I am not for abolish the police. I am not here. I am not here for saying we don't need any policemen at all or policewomen at all. I am not in that camp. (laughs) Yeah, I am not for that. If something goes bump in the night, yes, I do want the police to come. I want to be clear about that. But I don't think police need to be in the business of social work. But I think a lot of times the challenge is this is all sort of governed by the contract that the um, police department or the police union has with the city. Because this has to be done at a local level. There is nothing coming out of Congress that's going to really change much. No, I agree with you. that It has to be done at a local level. And I'd be interested to know um, what percentage of... Like when, you know, for uh, Mr. Floyd or, you know, the other gentleman in uh, Minneapolis, those encounters ended with their deaths. But for what they were stopped for or what they were initially flagged for, so Floyd was a $20 bill, supposedly a fake $20 bill, Mm -hmm. and uh, the other guy was for registration. So I'd be interested to know, based on those interactions, like what's the percentage of how does it go from here to here and how often does that happen? Um, Because to me, it seems as though if we if just getting pulled over for having, you know, bad registration or whatever the case may be, if that's going to result in people out here getting killed by police, and it seems like we need to evaluate all of it. Like, like you said, it's just something that we're going to have to reimagine it. But to your point, um, I saw something that said, uh, while people are worried about bad apples, be wary of the root mm-hmm. because no healthy tree, no healthy tree naturally bears strange fruit right and i think that's where i'm at that it's we have to have a a a separate conversation about how how people should be policed in this country or to say it a different way we can't approach policing from the concept that 
marginalized people are a threat. Mm-hmm. We can't, it, it, and it just feels as if policing starts with an assumption that because of the color of my skin or the God that I worship or how I choose to identify myself um, as a certain gender, whatever it is, whatever sort of marginalized group you might fit into, it feels as if we're starting from a place where you're in a marginalized group, so therefore you're a threat. That you can't, that already puts you in a defensive position. And I think we have to work from another point of view. Not to mention, and I, I did mention this on the last pod, that I just feel like if I'm paying taxes, I shouldn't be viewed as a threat when I'm paying taxes. Because if you're going to treat me like this, then I shouldn't have to pay taxes at all. And if marginalized people all rose up and said, we're not paying taxes until this changes, I wonder how fast things would change. Because if this was a business, you wouldn't do business with people who treat their customers this way. Nope. Well, and also those small interactions like speeding tickets and citations and whatnot. I mean, that's what kind of, you know, yes, the police officers are there to protect and serve, but also it's a money center. Like that's where a lot of um, cities get their municipalities get their money off of tickets and citations and whatnot. So there's almost like a fiduciary uh, obligation. So what I'm hearing you say is as marginalized people, we are we are funding our own oppression in a roundabout way. Yeah. I mean, I guess the other thing I look at it too is in something that I was watching on uh, Joy Reid last night and you know, that whole thing with Lauren Bobert and whatever her name is and Marjorie Taylor green and how they were going to do that. Another one outside of Bobert and MG was Marjorie Taylor Green. No, I I I think it's just those two. I think it's just those two. But it could be more. I mean, I imagine. I mean, there's probably they are popular, so I it wouldn't shock me if there were more people. They're they're starting a group. They're 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 going to start. Yeah, they're going to they're going to jump in a van and tour the countryside. I heard them also side note side note. I heard them also referred to as like. they're like the new Michelle Bachman, but if anybody remembers, oh god, go ahead. I, I went, I went this whole time not thinking about Michelle Bachman. Until I'm sorry now. to put that in your head. Um, no, but like you know, they they decided to do this this uh, national conference or conference of Anglo-Saxon Americans, and um, and I was watching Joy Reid last night. She made a, uh, you know, of course me, you know, with me bringing everything back to historical perspective. She said, you know, it sounds awfully similar to right after the Civil War when black people, black men first got the, the right to vote. And there were these pamphlets out there about how white Anglo-Saxons, if you're in the line to, to vote and you see a black person, it's your Anglo-Saxon right to tell them that they can't vote. And if they refuse to leave the line, then it's your Anglo-Saxon right to kill them. Yeah. But yet, um, and, and really a lot of the policing um, in the South was based in theory off of keeping black people from voting. That's not a theory. I know it's not a theory, but you don't, you know. th- this is a safe space. You don't have to speak in code that way. Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so, I'm so used to doing that, you know, because I'm usually that black friend. Um, <laughs> no, no, you, you are safe here. You I'm can say, here. you can say they fucked up. Yeah, they fucked up. And, and I'm mad about it. Um, I'm not so much mad about it. It's just like, oh, I'm so over it. But it, it's kind of like one of those things where you, you talk about policing and I'm with you guys. I don't think you should abolish the police. Um, but, you know, just like you said with your analogy with the bad apples and roots and things of that nature. But when it comes down to it, white supremacy in this country has a connection to policing, especially in the South um, and finding a way to root that part out. Um, I hate to be pessimistic, but it, it's a it's a thing that is ingrained. Yeah, it's going to take a lot of hard work. Um, one of the things being a bit of a, a history nerd myself, so I know you know this, but if you look back over the course of the 20th century, um, historically, um, things change in this country in major sweeping sort of ways when middle class white people say that's not right and I've had enough of that and we need to do something because it's not right and it's unfair. 
And um, the uh, the oh, I just lost my train of thought real quick. Um, an example of that would be women's suffrage. So, you know, women get the right to vote with the Nineteenth Amendment. Denise, keep me honest. Is that nineteen twenty? Nineteen nineteen? Yeah, nineteen twenty. Nineteen twenty. Yeah. Right in there. And there was a groundswell of movement from middle class people that said, hey, according to the 14th Amendment, we're equal citizens. Mm -hmm. We should have the right to vote. Middle class white people got behind that initiative. But yet, underneath the same 14th Amendment, black people, black men, and by extension, black women. Right. Exactly. But again, so fast forward, 45, 45, 50 years later, you get the civil rights movement. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, again, it's middle class white people, even though it's all black activists at the time that are leading the charge. I want to be clear about that. But because middle class white people were seeing on TV every night, Walter Conkright, you know, giving you the news and you're seeing innocent people, citizens getting attacked with dogs and hoses or being lynched simply because of the color of their skin. People said, no, we're not, that's not who we are as a country. We're better than that. Um, And I just think, I hope this is one of those moments where um, this is a turning point. But again, and I think the other thing that goes unsaid here um, is What's really different about this moment in time right now is kids that are younger than us. So these Gen C kids, these COVID kids, these yeah. millennials, they grow up in a time where they're. Hey, man, he- I'm a millennial. Okay, well, welcome to being a millennial. Thank I'm you. Breaking to you were today years old when you found out you were a millennial. <laughs> um, I, I think one of the things I noticed is that these kids grew up today and all their, regardless of your background or where you come from, all your heroes come uh, are represented by marginalized people. There are people, young people growing up in this world who idolize Kamala Harris or a doctor or a dentist or Aquafina or whoever it is. And I think that's what's really changed. And if your heroes that you grew up with are a bunch of people who don't look like you, all of a sudden, when you see things like George Floyd or Dante Wright, it's like, wait a minute, they're just people. And and another example I would give you, the most popular form of music in the world. is hippity-hoppity. Yes, it's hip-hop. And when your heroes are all black, or, you know, the, the baddest Puerto Rican rapper from the island, all of a sudden you start to see the world a little different. And I don't think you can underestimate that, but you know, I, I hate to put it on boomers, but boomers, it's it's you know. I think it's most. It, I think it's, yes, it, it's, it's between that, it's, and I don't want to put it on them, but I I do think it's the system and this mm-hmm. notion of holding on to things because change is coming so fast, and that's a very human thing. I wouldn't put that on boomers. And then you also have but, the radicalization of younger people that are coming from those same areas of the folks that are older those boomers and then you've got folks that are you know white kids who may not feel like they are you know that they can be a part of a group because all they see is the marginalized groups being the ones that are highlighted and then therefore they feel like they are outcasts and then there goes the radicalization the QAnon, and then you've got a bigger problem on your hands so well you're right but i i just think that we can't be afraid of that i think we have to talk about it mm-hmm. but we can't be afraid to talk about it that's one of the things that i really love about this platform is being able to have a very nuanced conversation like i saw something today about this idea that well you can't read Huckleberry Finn in high school anymore because it's got language that makes us uncomfortable because they drop the N word and all this. And it's just like, wait, 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 wait. But we still read To Kill a Mockingbird. You see what I'm saying? Because <laughs> Howard University, and what brought it up was Howard University is canceling um, basically. The classics. Yeah. yeah, they're canceling the classics. So they're not going to read like Homer and the Iliad and the Odyssey. They're not going to read any of that. And they've got their reasons for it. But it's like, I don't. And, I don't necessarily agree with that Me because I, yeah, I would disagree even though it makes you uncomfortable, I think you need to understand where some of the people that you want to hold up mm-hmm. in high esteem. Um, so take MLK, for instance. Everybody wants to quote MLK. MLK appealed to the best parts of Jefferson 
when he's writing about equality and fairness and all of that stuff, even though Jefferson is a completely flawed person and by today's standards, he's evil. Mm-hmm. But like most of us, most of us are complicated and most of us contradict ourselves with our actions mm-hmm. all the time. So in a lot of ways, we're no different. But if you cancel the classics, then you can't necessarily tie it back all the way through in the way that you need to because we don't have um, sort of context and nuance anymore. Everything is in the moment. We don't have any sense of history and how everything's interconnected. I agree. Uh, I think that especially when it comes to the classics and I'm somebody who who appreciates the study that is that that has brought us where we are. You know, if we didn't have the Iliad, we didn't have the the Odyssey, if we didn't have um, Ulysses or whatever, like we, I can see where they're coming from. And, but at the same time, there are things to be learned from those things. And classics, I just feel like there's enough to be learned from them, not just, you know, the the mythology, the historical context, it kind of gives you an idea of where things are placed. And you want to know your history. You want to know where you come from, even if that history happens to be in an area that you yourself do not identify with. The stories are still something that you can relate to. Yeah, I think when it comes to history, I, I think people don't want to know the history because it makes them uncomfortable. But I really, really think if we're going to have an honest conversation about how to make things better, There are going to be a lot of people in this country that are uncomfortable. You're going to have to get comfortable having an uncomfortable conversation. And it drives me crazy with people who say things like, you know, those who don't know their own history are doomed to repeat it, but yet aren't willing to sit down and actually have a conversation about it. And I think this, the one thing we've never done is uh, the whole truth and reconciliation commission that they did. Well, I think a lot of that's for show. Um, I I don't think... Like, it wasn't from an apartheid perspective. Like, that was a real thing, and it helped the country heal. I'm saying mm-hmm. we've I'm never about, done that. Yeah, I'm talking about, like, the talk of doing that here. Like, I don't know. Well, we're too polarized we're too now. polarized to do it. But, it, I mean, it should happen. But then, you know, as we've kind of talked about before, like, there's the action of doing it. And then, like, like we've all worked in companies and corporations where, like, you'll have, like, a task force of some sort to evaluate workflow or something like that. And then they give the recommendation. So, okay, so you go through the process of having it. But then you get to the recommendations part. So then the real, you know, when the rubber hits the road is that you go put these recommendations in. Yeah, but I think what you're really describing is this is not a check-the-box exercise. Because a lot of companies have that. Yeah, but I think... This is not a Gallup survey. I I don't disagree. The subject matter is not one that you quote-unquote check a box. However, what I would argue is that when it comes time to really do something about it, like these, like you, we have so many companies that are putting out statements, and because that's the invoke thing to do. Nobody wants to be left out of putting out a statement. But at the end of the day, like, what are you going to do? What are you going to do about your hiring practices? What are you going to do about um, you know things internally? What are you going to do about marketing to um, you know, different segments of people? Like, you look at golf covers. Like, when you watch golf covers, they're not marketing to you know, a Schwab or like whatever, insert financial institution here. They're not marketing it to, you know, people of color. They're doing it to the people who watch golf, which I get it. But at the same time, like, what are you doing? What are you, what concrete steps are you doing to ensure these type of things? And so that's where I'm skeptical of a lot of businesses and advertising and leagues, if you will, in some instances. Um, because I feel like a lot of it is just talk, but you know, not, well, yeah, I don't think anybody wants to be on the wrong side of this thing. But speaking of being on the wrong side of this thing, so um, while we're sitting here talking, there are people, you know, celebrities, athletes, making public statements about the verdict. And I guess the Las Vegas Raiders, in my mind, I still want to call them Oakland. Um, it's okay. Sometimes I call them L.A. Yeah, well, <laughs> we know where you get that from. Yeah. I know. So. Um, the Las Vegas Raiders put out a statement on Twitter that said, for 2021, I can breathe now. And, you know, that's. I appreciate it, but I don't. That's that's that ain't it, player. That, that that ain't that ain't it. Especially. And I think the thing is, is that if it had came from a different league, 
I might not have like. No, I just don't. I, no, you don't need to make any reference to breathing at all, other than to say, you know, we are, you know, proud of the jury and we hope people peacefully protest. Mm-hmm. Like, give me some, you know, you can make a statement, but to come out and say I can breathe now as a football organization. Is, well, this is, me, is extremely it, tone deaf. I take it to the or point. Are you, are you saying that you think it's over now? Right. Like, like what, right. What, 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 are, what are we saying here exactly? I guess like, for me, it's like you're still part of an organization that blackballed Kaepernick for doing something as simple as just taking a knee for this very reason. And it's just like all of a sudden now it's like, oh, you can breathe. But yet at the same time, you still ain't going to let my boy back into the league. So yeah, that's what I'm saying. So, you know, like, it, like, like, you, y'all. It's, like I appreciate you being woke. I appreciate it, but you're the, late. This is this is a really good example of where you need diversity in the room because some somebody somewhere should have pulled you to the side and say, "Hey, man, this ain't that it. this ain't the statement you want to make." Mm-mm. You know, um, you know. By the way, I think we can say um, very clearly now, um, with the full weight of a verdict behind it, that. Um, Kaepernick never killed anybody by taking a knee. No, but this guy did. But yet, y'all, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's just like, you don't want to be on the wrong side of this. And Brian, I think the point you're trying to make is all of these companies rushing in to have a statement and all of these companies trying to get in here to make sure that everybody knows that they are for, you know, fair and equal justice and all of this. That's great, but you've got to do more than a slogan. And it's got to be more than... um, actions that you take in the moment you have to be able to commit to this on a long-term basis and to quote you know march on action like i'm not that action boss like so (laughs) show me some action like okay you guys are putting out all these statements you want to talk about the georgia um the voting rights law voting rights law all that stuff like okay all right but i mean at the same time though then you've got you've got some companies that have been about it from the jump and we shouldn't separate those from the folks that are just now coming so on the scene. So who's been bouted from the jump? Oh, 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 like ben, ben and Jerry's. Ben and Jerry's, you know, yeah, has right. been bouted from the jump jump. And They're not here for the jibba jabba. No, not, not at all. And, you know, it, they they came out Job the gate. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they came out uh, They came out the gate strong and hard with Kaepernick all those years ago. And, I mean, and even before they were into the social justice and stuff, I mean, I don't know how familiar you are with the way that they they do their even just their business but i mean even their own um their own business model is is completely based off of not only just diversity but just the the feeling of being welcome and doing include and being inclusive being inclusive to the point where you can bring your pets to work i mean it's to the point where it's just like there are things that that this that this company you know, there are, there are companies in this world that you would like, honestly, would be jealous to if like you would really love to work for. Mm-hmm. Ben and Jerry's is one of those kinds of companies because they literally put their money where their mouth is. Yeah, yeah, no, I I agree, and I hate that. You Jerry know, Garcia is a great flavor. No, shout out to them. Um, I they do really good work. I just hate that them standing up for what they believe is right all of a sudden means that that they have to be labeled as some sort of woke left leftist company yeah. it's like this at some point this is not about yeah, being I woke just, or being uh, progressive or far left or it's really just being made aware of something mm-hmm. but but, but i think you it's know something you can't understand. yeah but i think it's more fundamental than that it was just wrong that it was just wrong that a cop kneeled on a man's neck for 9 minutes and 29 seconds when I when I inject race into it, when I inject all these uh, economic, social economic factors into it, it just makes it worse. But fundamentally, I- I'm still uncomfortable with the idea that we all got together to witness the verdict. We all watched the verdict when we already knew what, you know what I mean? Like, he killed the man. This is not up for debate. And what was frustrating was the defense's argument was, well... Yes, he kneeled on him, but he died for these other reasons. Yeah. Like, don't was, believe what it is that you just saw. But I got what got me about the defenses thing was that they literally threw everything at the wall to see what would stick. So it was like, oh, well, he died because his heart was too big. Oh, okay, you got to an answer for that. All right, well, he died of carbon monoxide poisoning. Oh, you guys got to an answer for that. Okay, well, he had... Uh, he had fentanyl in his system. Oh, okay. You guys said he didn't die from that. Oh, okay. And I mean, and you guys didn't watch the trial. I watched the trial. 
So he literally as a defense attorney, like just he didn't have a whole lot to work with, but he still threw everything well, out. And, and you know, and, and I don't want to say credit to him, but like, you know, his job is to defend his client. So he's got to do what he's got to do. We all might find it despicable and gross, but he's he has an obligation to defend his client. The one thing that I thought was kind of whack was, well, all of it's kind of whack, but um, when he was talking about how he died of carbon monoxide poisoning. Yeah, because well, of the exhaust pipe, that, the was exhaust right pipe that was right in his face. Well, he's in your care. Why is he in a position where he is getting that like yeah like come on like it, it's just it just def- it just defeats the purpose. i think for me the most damning thing about the trial is when they brought is when the prosecution brought in the pulmonologist and if you get a chance to to look just look back at that that one set of testimony from the pulmonologist and they he is a person who literally wrote a book on pulmonology okay like there he's got enough books with his name on it to where there should be like a school with his name on it this dude is like he's from scotland and he knows what he's talking about he writes books for this you know so they're asking him these questions about you know what about the carbon monoxide would this have stopped it and he's like no uh basically his he died as a result of his heart stopping his heart stopped because of the, the situation of his, the way his body was contorted on the ground, that he needed to move a part of his body in order to breathe. And when he went to move to lift his part of the body up, Chauvin still had his his knee on the neck, which obstructed his way of actually because you know, when you're when you're when you're suffocating. Your body has a natural response to move in order to get the air that you need. And the pulmonologist literally explained it like you were in class. You know, there was no way for the defense to honestly say. But even then, with all of that, we were still sitting here like, I bet this motherfucker get off. Exactly. And I think that's what I don't. And, I, it, had there been no video, he would. They, we would right. Have never and I, and but I, it's just like what Jason Johnson said earlier on MSNBC today, because he he teaches class on Tuesdays, and he was in class at the time that the verdict was in, that the, the when they got word that the verdict would be coming out, and he pulled his class at a historically black college. He said, "How many of you believe that the verdict today will be guilty?" And he said, "Only four of his students actually believed it." The rest of his students in a class of 50 were like, no, because we've we've seen this video before. We've seen this movie before. Right. And, 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 I, and I think that's the point that we all know what we saw. We all know what this should be. But because we have seen too many instances where the verdict or the outcome, the evidence is overwhelming and yet still... Um, we're still nervous about it. And I, I, one thing I want people to understand is, you know, people were out here celebrating this um, because this is how the system is supposed to work. So if you are uncomfortable with the notion that a whole lot of people and a whole lot of people of color are out here celebrating this and you're uncomfortable with seeing that, you're only uncomfortable seeing that because these were people that were never treated fairly mm-hmm. at all, ever. And I think that says more about you than it does and about it them. Says it, and it speaks to the system. And, and when I say the system, I'm not talking about just policing in general. I'm talking about just the way historically America is treated marginalized people. So when marginalized people get a win, they're not trying to throw it in your face. They're trying to celebrate um, all of the oppression and atrocity that they've overcome from. But honestly, people are just asking for fair and equal treatment. It's It's a collective exhale because in, like you said on the previous pod, I don't think a lot of, I think I think a lot of black people will tell you that OJ killed his wife and I was just thinking about this today. Like we haven't had a day but, like this since the OJ verdict. But I think no, but these two things but, are not the same. They're not the same. I, 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 I want to be clear about that. Yeah. We're not saying that. Too. 
But but the but the build okay, up. Just, it, just so we're it, clear. It's the, it's yes. the build up. But but I guess what I'm saying is the the reaction that came afterwards. I don't think it was because people genuinely thought OJ was innocent. It was because that that generational pain, that trauma of you know where people of color were either killed by police or put in jail falsely by police or different things like that. Just all those things collectively come back in that one thing where it's like, yeah, he probably did it, but, but this is a, but, but he beat the system. Mm-hmm. Like, and that does not happen with, um, with black people. And every, people color, every black so. person in this country that is of ancestry that dates back to slavery um, can tell you a story of a of a point when the police or white people and uh, have oppressed against them, or someone in law enforcement has um, discriminated against them. It, it's not like um, it's not you're. It's rare to find somebody who can't give you a story. Right, and I think what we're trying to get to is a place where we don't have to have a story. Right. So it's going to take a lot of hard work. Now, one of the things I do want to kind of talk to you guys about, and this is a conversation we have had several times um, as a unit, as a group, as a, as a family, um, is that I just feel as I, I'm just speaking for myself, not passing judgment on anyone in terms of how they choose to go about their business. But we have collectively talked as a unit, as a family. And we are sort of of the thought that if, God forbid, mm-hmm. one of us or we as a unit are in a situation similar to this, and they read that verdict, it's like we're going to release a statement and then we are going to process that privately. And I'm not passing judgment on George Floyd's flaming by doing it publicly, um, but there seemed to be... It's just not our get down. It, 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 there just seemed to be a whole lot of people at a microphone speaking. Yeah. And um, and, and 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 I guess for me that I was a little uncomfortable seeing that, um, just because I just don't know that I would have the capacity to process my emotion in a public setting like that because I know myself well enough to know that that emotion would be so raw in either direction, whether it would be guilty Mm -hmm. or whether it would be um, acquitted, that I don't know that you could put me on TV publicly and have me be there dignified and measured with my words. God bless him for being able to do it because I just don't think that that I would be able to do that. I agree. I don't think that I could do that. I mean, I mean, I, I mean... Could I do it? Yes. I think out of the three of us who would be more likely to go in front of a camera would probably be me out of the three of us. But no, you're going. You're going. Fantastic. I can that, step that, back. If, 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 I can step back. If one of us has to go, um, it's probably Brian, if I'm being honest. <laughs> and only because Brian is much more <laughs> diplomatic than you and I. You and I are much more. We're firecrackers. Fuck you, say like, <laughs> like you and I, like we like it just naturally comes to the surface yeah. for uppity us. Uppity bitch, say what? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, uppity bitch, say what? <laughs> like, like you and I are much more closer to that. <laughs> Brian, it naturally comes to him to be diplomatic. You and I can do it. Um, it's gonna take some restraint, though. <laughs> and, and, and I guess what I'm saying is, I just feel like. A, I don't know that I would have it in me in the moment, so God bless them because they did. Um, and secondly, I just feel like after something that traumatic and that public um, happened to my family, I don't know that I want to give my emotional response to that in a public setting. Well, I don't feel like I owe the no, public no, that. I would, I would agree. Yeah, I don't think they they owe that, and certainly that's. And to be clear, I'm not saying that they owe the public that. No, like I, I'm not saying that not at all. all. But. It's just kind of how it, how it transpired. But um, I agree with you. Like I, it, to me, um, that's something that I like. We said we talked about before, but we probably do in private uh, because from my perspective. As a family, as a unit, you've had to relive this for like a year now, publicly, over and over and, and over, over again. and over again. Whether it's talking on somebody's show, or you have to testify in court, or you have to go to know, Congress, you know, yeah, 
whatever the case may be, I've had to, you know, it's, it's, I don't know why I would, I want to quit it that way, but, um, but the reaction, the initial reaction, uh, that outpouring of emotion, I want to have that for the people around me, just for us. We'll get like like you like we talked offline. Like we'll get to the Oprahs and the Ellen yeah. of the world or whoever we're going to talk to. We'll. Get I'm to not that. talking to Ellen. Just okay. throwing that out there. Okay, I Rosie O'Donnell, whoever insert host here, um, <laughs> but. Um, but I would want to keep that close to the vest because right. I felt like for everything that we've shared with the world, that's, I something, mean, that we, we, that's something we can keep close to the vest. Yeah, like I just feel like I don't know that I would have, and God bless him for being able to do it, but I just don't know that I would have the capacity um, to be able to do that um, publicly that way. Like no. I just don't, like you couldn't put cameras, you couldn't put a microphone in front of me and like tell me how you feel. Because the first thing I'm saying is, you want to know how fu- how I fucking feel? You yeah. really want to know that? Yeah. Like, like good or good or bad. Make like, sure, I don't yeah. know that I have it's that kind of in like, me. Make sure you're because it would be way too raw. And then it would yeah. go back into the whole thing we talked about before in previous pods, like being angry black man. Because then it comes across a certain. Yeah. Way. The I angry just, black man. You know what? You know what? I will talk to you when I'm. Yeah. Angry. Like I like no. This is not the the time or the place. I mean, I can't give you. I can't give you. We grew up with this saying, don't give anybody the bullets to shoot you with. And I just feel, well, quite literally, but I just don't feel that I would have the capacity to to be as classy and as dignified in my mind as I think I would be. Like, I don't trust myself enough. And I think the other thing, too, um, that was a little uncomfortable, and we've talked about this, too, is... There seemed to be a lot of people that were surrounded by the family that weren't family that were up there talking. There was a lot of lawyers, a lot of, you know, people Jesse Jackson, Ben Crumps of the world. And don't get me wrong. They were there and they supported the family and they're in their time of need and gave them counsel and support. And, 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 and I get all that. But to me, there was something a little uncomfortable about that visual. About it just seemed as if people were sort of well. Um, I'll, I'll, can I well, can I throw can I throw this at you just as a devil's advocate here? Maybe the reason why we, we yes we find it uncomfortable and I do find it uncomfortable as well because it seems like as Brian said more like a grand after a while it becomes grandstanding. But what I will say though is because this rarely happens, it's almost like you got to get up there everybody's got to get up there and say their piece because we don't know if we're ever going to get this again. But this also feels like I owe something to someone when really I'm just trying to process my emotion. And This is true. And, 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 From and, a family and, perspective, and, yes. And, and I guess my thought is me processing my emotion in that moment is way more important than any other agenda. Right. But but I'm looking at it from I mean, from a political perspective. They, you know, this yes. is the, when are you ever going to get another chance to do this? Yeah. Now, politically, whenever I give the Oprah interview, no, no. like like it No, just, I don't mean with I don't mean as it as it opposes to the family. I'm talking about the issue within itself as a as getting I can do justice. that but I can do that when I'm not as emotionally charged. Right, as you, but I'm talking about as somebody who's like say Max waters or like the the chair of the urban league for a for something as massive as this well, right, right, right. okay so let's separate these two things yes that's I what i'm we, I, I think we collectively as a group sort of agree that like god forbid something like that happens to any of us or anybody that we love and care about that we would prefer to process that privately correct in a in a, in a different way because that's just the way we are however and i think this is the point you're trying to make is there were also there was also an element of people immediately politicizing this verdict, mm-hmm. and, and again, this is why I would want to do it in private, private yeah. because I think there's a time and place for it. But I don't have, I don't believe, or I don't trust myself enough to have the mental capacity mm-hmm. to immediately switch from yes. Um, we got justice, or no, we didn't, into immediately politicizing right. the situation. And I think that's where, at least it, at least for me, heaven forbid it happened to something that somebody that we knew, is that that's where I would have to pull down the curtain and say, okay, release the statement, that's it. Now, if my lawyer wants to go out here, if, if, rest, if representatives want to go do whatever, y'all do you. But I've, I've made my statement, and I'm out. Yeah, like, you're not going to get that from me today. No. You know, now, the point i was making just a minute ago when i go do the interview 
for Oprah or CNN, Jake Tapper, who whoever the hell I'm doing the interview with, Ed Johnson, what you know, Donnie Simpson, whoever. Donnie Simpson? Yeah, fuck, I'll talk to Donnie Simpson. Why not? Where the hell is he at? What is this well, video soul? Probably, oh, yeah, that's right, video soul. Oh my video God, soul. Do a, a tandem interview with Sherry Carter. That's right. Bring it on. <laughs> Bring it on. Wow. All right. Rachel from. Um, uh, Caribbean Sands. That's right. But I will only do it if they agree to bring Uncut back. That's the only oh, way I'll agree you know, to do it. Be- yeah. Tavis never- Smiley is not enough to get me to do it. you got to bring Uncut back. Tavis Smiley in the PBS but, News Hour. But I, I digress. But to me, that's the place where I have that conversation where I've got enough faculty over my emotion. Mm-hmm. In my mental state to be able to like have an not, intelligent you're not, conversation. You're about not it. entitled to that, but it, but to your point about the political part of it, I it does make me uneasy that people are so quick to politicize it um, on the right and the left. Um, but I also feel like sometimes that the right has pushed the left into being as polarized as the right. I mean, they both feed off of each other. I, it, of to me, it's, a, it, it, it's it's one of those escalating arms races. It's like mutual destruction. Like you've got it. So I have to have it, too. Mm-hmm. It's it, it's that. And again, I just always believe that the answer is in the middle. The answer is never in the, in the extreme. It's always in the middle. The, the answer is always in the middle. Mm-hmm. But the idea that I can't like you because you're one of them. Like we we got to get out of that. Now, and I, and don't get me wrong, I think there are certainly missteps in terms of uh, statements like. What Pelosi said today was just God. <gasps> terrible. What, what did Pelosi say today? Uh, thank you, thank you, George Floyd, for sacrificing your life for see, justice. For, 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 like, see, see. Like, I, I, listen, there are going to be missteps, and there's times where people. I get it, but no, Brian. But, but Brian, but, but hold on. she is the goddamn speaker of the house. You can't Dennis, make a misstep like I, that. I didn't say that I was okay with it. <laughs> I, listen, I know you didn't say. It. <laughs> listen, I'm very I'm clear about I'm what you said. Box for Nancy Pelosi. No, okay. no, and 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 most people we know aren't. But Nancy, 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 you can't make that statement now. He sacrificed his life like he had a fucking choice in the matter. Fuck yes, because yes, because he woke up that day and was like, you know what, guys, I'm gonna die today I'm gonna die for the. I'm gonna, I'm gonna take one for the team today. Come on, Nancy. Well, you can't do that after you wear the kente cloth, but that's a different story. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, no, yeah, exactly. But, but, and you thought pulling hot sauce out of a purse was bad? Yeah, but my problem is, is that certainly as soon as George Floyd happened, then like everybody's politicizing at the right and the left. Um, you know, like I think they there were jobs numbers, and somebody asked Trump what he thought about it. And he was like, "Well, I think George Floyd would be proud because we improved it." And I was like, "No, I mean, this is just not necessary." Like, but I, just, you I didn't ask him about just, jobs, but what he was living, like, yeah, the so hell? so I, I'm more interested in the brass tacks of it in terms of like this is the issue, this is the charges, like how are we going to fix it? And so I get you got the right saying that you know. All cops are great. I'm just using this as an example. And then the left is saying, well, all cops are bad. Like you said, it's somewhere in the middle. But I think, you know, the issue is we got to figure this thing out. Somehow, some way, we got to figure it out. Well, yeah, that's the thing. We've got to figure it out. But the solution for all of society's ills is not on the extremes. No, it's always in the middle. It's in the middle. Compromise is not a dirty word, except to Dick Cheney. He, well. he believed compromise was a dirty word. But but compromise is not a dirty word here. But everybody's going to have to probably give up a little something that they're uncomfortable with for the greater good. That's usually how good, um, there's, there's usually good compromise or good agreements is that when everybody gets a little something what they want, everybody gives up a little something and, you know, you know, that's what compromise is called. I mean, to, to say it a different way, if we all agree or not all, but if most of us agree that this is, it shouldn't be this way, we should have the, the ability and the power to change it. But we lack we lack the ability to do that because people on the extremes are the loudest and those voices get amplified. Yes. And I think it's time for smart, rational people to sort of take the microphone back and say, no, no, we're not going to do that. We're not, your idea is a little, um, a, a little too far. Yeah. And I, and this kind of goes into the grandstanding part of it because the politicians grandstand as well. So, um, 
I do think that I'd be interested in serious politicians, not ones who are just confined the closest camera and microphone, but like people who are actually genuinely want to do something about it. Yes. And people who don't argue with scientists, but also people that don't have a bunch of pie in the sky ideas um, with no with no real world practical application in terms of how we actually get it done. Because everything makes sense in theory. Gotcha. Right. Yeah. So. I mean. Well, so so I'll just ask you guys this sort of in closing. So now that we've got a verdict, the verdict is guilty. I guess they're going to read the sentencing in four to eight weeks or something. And I'm sure there's going to be appeals and everything else. I'm not going to ask you guys to sort of speculate on. Thanks, um, Maxine Warner. Um, <laughs> yeah, because apparently if we do lose this shit, it's going to be on appeal. And again. There's nothing wrong with what she said. You just you you just can't yeah no I know but you just can't say and she's been in she's been a politician too long for her not to know. I don't know issue what you said, but you just can't say that the night before. She was like, like, "Come on, like if people are going to make comments, I get it. It's hyper fun and everything. Let the process play out first before we start." What can I say? She Inglewood on man, like. Uh, that's, she, that's, that's fine, she, but she what I'm saying woods. is, if you're, woods, woods. If, you're, but if you're in that seat, then you really have you an have obligation to, to see to the bigger picture because you hurt the very movement you claim you're trying to help when you do shit because, like that. Because let's obviously it worked out today, but let's say it didn't, and let's say somebody there's supposed to be some question, but let's say for whatever reason she indirectly affected that. So then now all the arrows are pointed at her because she's the reason why they didn't get justice. Well, right. she's in her 80s, so I mean, when she out, she well, out. Uh, you know, well, you know there's going to be somebody well, out there who's going to say it. If that is the case, then she definitely should know better. Right. And it's nah. not an excuse. See, and, and uh, I'm going to get on my soapbox here. I struggle with old folks sometimes because <laughs> old folks are real quick to say, well, I'm old and I can say what I want, this, that, and the third. But you, yeah. say, you, you say that as if there's zero accountability for that shit. So if you're going to do that, if Pelosi's going to say, well, George Floyd, you know, thank you for sacrificing your life. No, you got to get the fuck up out the paint for that because yeah. you're making it work. You hurting everybody else. I mean, to your point, Tubbs, it was bad enough y'all took a knee with the kente cloth. It was bad enough with that shit. Now here you come talking about he sacrificed his life. Like, no. And yeah, I get it. You're older. You're going to say what you want. But no, 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 no. There is real world repercussions for that shit. So either keep your mouth shut or come up with a better way to say it that doesn't inflame people. Don't stop giving people the bullets to shoot you with. If you don't have that type of discipline as a politician, maybe you shouldn't be a fucking politician. And that's why there is a mass exodus of Republicans leaving Congress. You know why? Because there's only so much bullshit that you can put up with before it's well, like... Well, that's also an impediment, too, because the, quote-unquote, depending on what you believe, the rational ones, mm-hmm. the ones that you could work with to get things done, they're bouncing. So then you have the other ones, the extremes, if you will, they're not going to go for it. So really, we're still going to be at this status quo because the people that we could work with are leaving and they're not there. And the other people, they have no interest in working mm-hmm. So, so yeah, it's only going to make it worse. It's, it's yeah. only, and I think the example you gave is uh, 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 the best example I can think of, or the first one I can think of, I should say, is Steve Stivers. So Steve Stivers mm-hmm. is a congressman here in Ohio, and he's retiring to, or leaving Congress, I should say, not to retiring, run the Chamber of Congress. to run the Ohio Chamber of Congress. He came to my job and spoke, him and Joyce Beatty. Okay. They both spoke together about um, police brutality and police reform and all that. And honestly, listening to Steve Stivers, you couldn't disagree with anything he said on principle. Mm-hmm. On principle, like we are, we agree on like 90% of these things. How we get things, these things done is where it becomes, you know, super, uh, super partisan and the whole nine. So to your point, you get somebody out of there who's a reasonable, decent person who sort of gets... Um, run over by the politics a little bit, yeah. if you will, right? And you replace that person, who's a good and decent person by all accounts, with someone who is so extreme yeah. that all of a sudden we're not going to be able to get anything done. And I need, what I need my friends on the right to understand is if you really want to get people to stop protesting in the streets, if you really want to eliminate that sort of thing, you've got to meet people where they're at. But people getting equal rights 
is not necessarily taking anything away from you. Your life is not going to be negatively impacted if marginalized people are no longer being beat up and killed or, or harassed by the police or whatever the issue is. I don't want to make it a police issue, but but if marginalized people are treated equally and fairly under the law, it's not taking anything away from you. No. And it go back, go back to the point I made on the last episode. Someone explained to me why you feel like the color of my skin is a threat to you. And, and the reason why it's a threat is because you were fed a bunch of bullshit and you believed it. And yet I'm the one that has to deal with your fake fear that the boogeyman is coming to get you. Yeah, I told you, read again again. Yep. Here, and here's a really good example of that. How many times did you see where a white woman claims that a black man kidnapped her kids? Oh, like and what's his name? Um, Susan Smith. Susan Smith. And yeah, there's a couple other ones. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That ain't us. That ain't us. The la- that, that, that's not what we do. That's not what we do. But you, why did you say that? You said that because you subconsciously or um, consciously knew you could send people in that direction and they'd run. Well, there was a guy in Boston some years ago who did something similar. said that he was, I think it was in the 80s, and he was, he claimed that he was carjacked uh, at knife point with uh, him and his pregnant wife in the car. And a black guy came and just... Uh, you know who I'm talking about? Are you talking about? Well, they, sure he name, he but. was yeah. He, the she was at home, and he he went out to get a burger. And then when he came back, he was accosted by a black man who allegedly had broken into the house and had uh, murdered the pregnant woman. Yeah, it was him. It was him. But but to your point, you know that you can lead people down that <laughs> rabbit hole. You might not get away with it, but at least you can throw them off the scent for a while because. Mm-hmm. Because again, this is it's a stereotype. It's a, a horrible right. trope. It is something that people believe to be true. Because as I told you before, apparently we're all violent. It's just uh, a dormant gene that like we're just waiting to just be violent. It's just so. like you said in the last pod. For every one black serial killer, we can probably give you about fifty white. Right. So, like facts. Like, <laughs> like I'm not making that up. And that's not just here in I'm the gonna say, and, and anybody that wants to challenge me on that, I will happily have you on my on this podcast with my sister, and we can go fact for fact for everyone that you can find. Because again, stop! You're so scared of something you don't need to be scared of, but you bought a bunch of bullshit. And and because I am a true crime connoisseur, black serial killers or just black crime in general is so rare. Right. Especially black black serial killers in specific is that it's so rare that they actually when they do find one all they want to do is study them because it's so rare. What made you tick? Yes, because with the white people it's like you know you understand. But for black people to go out and kill multiple people, it is extremely rare. Right. So again, we're good, decent people. Almost ev- almost all marginalized people are. Nobody's perfect. But you don't need to weaponize the color of my skin or the God that I worship or the person that I love just to make yourself feel better. You don't need to do that. That, my friends, is mental illness. Yes. Yes, exactly. Uh, There's your PSA for today. Well, thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. I'll charge you for an ad next time. By all means. Okay, we'll talk after the show. Okay. So with that, I want to thank you guys for jumping on. short notice um, to, to jump on here and sort of share your thoughts and, and your re uh, your reactions relative to, um, you know, what happened with the verdict. So hopefully this is the, the first in a series of steps towards trying to achieve the, the sort of equality that, um, that I, that I think we all want. So um, with that, thank you guys for, for, for jumping on and, um, Hopefully we won't have to do emergency pods anymore. But um, if I we like do, it. they're spur of the moment. You like you you prefer to do the emergency one? I like I like these. These are good. Raw and uncut. Uh, right. Well, 
Not it's our a, version not of Uncut. Be a Debbie Downer, but, uh, I imagine we'll probably do it for this. Wow. <laughs> we'll probably do this again for the uh, the other gentleman when that goes to trial as well. Or the one that just happened two hours yeah, ago. We'll, we'll, yeah, or the one that happened uh, now. The, the I was already out there, and I, I can't bring myself to watch last it. I yeah, checked, yeah, I won't watch it. That's a triggering last thing. Last I, won't I watch checked, it. all she did was call the cops because there were girls out front of her house uh, fighting, and yet she ended up dead. So. And, and side note to that, um, so the spring game uh, in Columbus, Ohio, just happened last weekend. They tore up campus, and I don't know if that a single shot was fired. Nope. But then girls fighting in a front yard. Mm-hmm. And they just happen to be black, and all of a sudden they're perceived yep. as a threat. And again, I don't know the circumstances behind it, so we'll have to get it. I'm telling you this, I do not want to have to do an emergency pod every time something like this happens. I, I want to be clear about that. I just thought this was um, a unique thing because it almost felt like this is one of those where were you when this happened moment. Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought it was important um, to be able to get reaction sort of in the moment to it all. So um, so with that, I, I thank you guys. Um for always being available to do, to do one always. of these. This is this is always, always. good. Yeah, appreciate it. So, um, until next time, uh, we'll holla at you guys later. Bye. Deuces. Peace.